All right, so we're going to jump into our Around the Table series. We're actually in week three of our series this week. We'll finish up our series um, Around the Table for next week. But for those that maybe have not been here or maybe you've missed one or, or whatever, we've been kind of talking about this concept of being around the table with Jesus. We see in the Gospels that a lot of times Jesus was in a lot of different places. But one place that we kind of see him continually uh, over and over in the Gospels is the idea of around a table or around a meal. Jesus did a lot of teaching at that, even some healing at the table. And, and the first week we really talked about this idea that that there is a place for us at the table that Jesus has invited us. We talked about this kind of concept of, you know, when you go to a fancy Thanksgiving and they have their, the name tags in front of each plate, that at God's table you have a name tag. God has reserved a spot for you and that God wants you to come and sit and enjoy his table and enjoy what he wants to do in your heart and in your life and, and that no matter who you are or what you've done, there's still a place for you. Last week we also then kind of talked about this idea of now that we're at the table, What's Jesus wanting from us? What does this look like? What does this life kind of look like? And we read some hard scripture where Jesus basically talks about this idea of, of, of loving him the most and putting him above everything else. And we kind of read some words of Jesus that, that kind of stung a little bit, but, but helped us understand the priority that we needed to put Jesus in our life. And, and so today we're going to kind of continue in that is uh, in the series, the kind of this idea of around the table, um, and we're actually going to kind of give it a little bit of context um, for this week by kind of going back a little bit in the scripture that we read last week. So if you have your Bibles, open up. We're going to be in Luke 14. We've been in Luke 14 the entire series. We'll be in Luke 14 next week. So just so you're ready to rock and roll. But we're going to start with verse 25 in Luke 14. And again, I know we read some of this last week, but I want to kind of give us some context of what's happening and what Jesus is doing and why he's kind of sharing these things in the way that he is. So Luke 14, starting with verse number 25, we're going to read to 35, so hang out with me for a bit. It says, And a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Again, we kind of talked about that last week and what Jesus is, is really communicating here, that our love for him has to be greater than our love for even ourselves and our families and things like that. Let's now continue verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin the construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, then everyone would laugh at you. Then they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to a war against another king without first sitting down as counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And now verse 34 and 35 is really where we're going to be focusing in this morning. And, and, and so it's kind of an interesting thing because here's Jesus. He's talking here about this idea of discipleship and carrying cross and, and, and all these things that you're kind of looking at him like, man, this is heavy and this is serious. And then sometimes like Jesus does in his teaching when he's doing these things, it's almost like Jesus kind of hits a point and then like pivots and goes a weird different direction. And it's almost like that here, but we're going to kind of show you a little bit why Jesus doesn't pivot quite as much maybe as we originally think, okay? So he kind of takes this moment, he's talking about these things, and then in verse 34 he says this, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt, look at verse 35, this is big. Flavorless salt is good for neither the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We do thank you for this time. Father, as we begin to dive into your word, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to communicate to us. Father, we need your words, not mine. So let mine stop and let yours begin. Because that's what we need. My words don't do anything. Your words change everything. So we need yours. And so, Father, I pray that you'd speak through me and help us to see what you want us to see through your Holy Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Jesus in this moment is basically, like I said, he's kind of talking about all these things. Hey, man, you got to be focused. You got to be this. You got to be dis- d- uh, devoted to me and all these things. And then, like I said, Jesus kind of like hits a point and then he's like, goes, oh, yeah, hey, hey, you remember salt? Remember salt? And here's what's interesting about this, this idea. You know, I don't know about you, but if you go to most tables, some of you are going to go to a restaurant tonight or today after lunch, or you're going to go home and things like that. Most tables is going to have some salt on it. You know, I started thinking about it this week. It's like, what restaurants do you go to that don't have a salt type of thing on the table? Because I was like, well, you know, if you go to like a Chinese restaurant or something, they don't necessarily have salt. But what do they have? They have soy sauce. They have that salty thing. Now, I don't usually go to, um, you know, like other types of restaurants. I'm pretty plain Jane. You know me. I'm like meat and potatoes. You know, if you're like, oh, let's go to this fancy, crazy, ethnic restaurant. I kind of don't do that um, because I don't find much to eat there, okay? But at the same time, I'm just assuming that salt's usually on the table. If we sit down, if you come to my house for dinner or come to my house for lunch, there's going to be salt on the table. We kind of have a desire. Our bodies need salt. They crave salt. Um, We enjoy salt. You know, now, you know, you've got to be careful with it, all that jazz. But you know what I mean? We like salt. And so what's interesting here is Jesus has just been talking about this parable of, of a banquet. He's just been sharing about what it is now to be his disciple. And now all of a sudden, he begins to say, hey, listen, there's something important that you need to understand if you're going to be sitting down at the table. And that is that I want to use you to do some great things. I want to kind of let you be a utensil in my hands or something that I use to make a difference in the dishes that I am preparing and setting out in front of people. You see, one of the great things about being invited to the table, sitting with Jesus at the table, is we don't just sit there. There are times where Jesus says, listen, I need you to get up and I need you to be a part of what I'm doing. I need you to help me to accomplish the goal and the mission that I have laid out for you and for others that I've placed around you. And there's something great about that. I don't know about you. I I like to be used. I want God to grab me and say, hey, let me me take Aaron and use him in this place or or take, take this person and use him over here. God loves to do that with us. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, as he's saying, now that you're sitting with me at the table, Let's, let's start using you to do some great things. And he uses this illustration that makes complete sense to them and complete sense to us as he starts to use this salt. Did you know that there are thousands of uses for salt? Thousands. Like, I, I Googled it because I, that's just what you do nowadays. I Googled simple. I just like, uses for salt. There were thousands. This was the weird, uh, there was a lot of weird ones. I remember this one being weird. You know that you can, you know like you get a pillow, okay? I don't, yeah, you got a pillow at home, and no matter how many covers you put over your pillow, it kind of gets this um, color. And it, you don't want to admit it because it's like, you know, it's all the oils and all, you know, it doesn't matter. It get, did you know that you can use, and I don't know how to do this, okay? Don't come to me afterwards and say, you Google it, okay? I didn't have time to look it up. But you can actually use salt to clean your pillow. Yeah, I know, like, there's going to be some people going home right after church going like, man, we've got to clean these pillows up, and you're going to be struggling with salt. You know, obviously, salt can be used for, for, for health reasons, and, and you know, I, I didn't know this. I know this sounds kind of crazy, but because I always looked at it as a negative thing, okay? You, you've heard the phrase, you know, pouring salt into the wound. Yeah, I've always heard that, like, as a negative thing. It's like, oh, you're, you're really pouring on, or you're really making it worse. They used to use salt as an antiseptic. They would pour salt in and the salt would literally begin to draw out of the wound, uh, the bacteria and things like that. Obviously, you ever have a sprained ankle or something like that and they say, oh, get in the the water and and do a salt bath and all those sort of things. Or when sometimes my wife has a sore throat, she'll gargle with what? Salt? Water? It's got thousands, thousands of uses. I heard that one of the things is like if you have a pan that you can't clean very well, put some salt in the water and that, that will scrub that pan clean. Now, I don't know if, you know, if it's non-stick or something. Don't, uh, don't you know, go to Google. Don't, make, no, don't ruin your pans if I'm telling you wrong, okay? Don't come to me and say, you owe me a whole set of pans. I'm not paying, okay? But salt can be used for a lot of places and lots of different reasons. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at, in relation to the table, what does salt do? 
okay, in relation to the table. I know there's thousands of different ways that you can use salt, but in regards to the table, to kind of stay in the context, what does salt do? And in, in contrary, with that, combined with that, now, if we're going to be salt, then what does God want us to do? Okay, so these are things that salt does that Jesus is also called us to do. So we're going to look at about, I believe, four different things that God has called us to do now that we're at his table, now that he wants to use us as an instrument, as a utensil, as a condiment, if you were, in his hands, what does that look like in our lives? The first thing, salt flavors, okay? We're going to start with some easy ones, salt flavors, okay? It's something that we use and we put on our food and it really helps bring out the flavor of our food and things like that. Now, now here's the thing you need to remember when when it comes to this idea of salt and flavoring, okay? You'd never have heard anyone, and if you have, tell me about it, because I'm, I'm going to make fun of them, okay? But I've never heard anyone say this to me, and if you have, like I said, please let me know. No one has ever said, man, you really need to go to this restaurant because the salt is amazing. Have you? No one's ever said, man, go to this steakhouse. Why? Because the salt so good. No, they don't say that. They say, go because the food is amazing. But here's what I found. Even how good food typically is, no matter how good something is, when you set it in front of someone, what do people typically do? They grab the salt. Or maybe they grab the pepper, whatever. They grab something else and they put it on there. Why are they doing that? Well, it's because salt really, it makes makes the, the, the food, enhances it. It brings out some of the flavors and basically does this. And, and I kind of want to look at this a little bit deeper because there's some things that you don't really understand about salt that you're going to get your life changed today and you're going to go home and, and put a lot more salt on stuff. Please don't do that, okay? But here's the thing. Salt as a flavor enhancer does some things that you may not know. First it does. First thing, in smaller amounts, you've got to remember this, in smaller amounts, it can actually make food sweeter. Did you know that? I found out this is the greatest thing I found. No, no, I'm, I'm teasing, but this is good for me, okay? Because I have been made fun of for this. I've been teased about this, and it's always good when God vindicates you, okay? Because I've said this from this pulpit, and you guys have looked at me like I'm nuts, okay? How many of you have ever put salt on watermelon? Yes, save people in the room. Good, no. And I've told my wife this. I said, when we grow up, we put salt on water. And she looked at me like, I am so glad I told her that after she married me. Okay? And I remember as a kid, we put salt on. We didn't put a lot on, but it was something my grandparents did. And, and you know, like, as a kid, it's like, you just do that. And it was good. And you don't think about it. You know, it's just, this is what we do. I told my wife, and she just thought this was the craziest thing ever. Well, I now have figured out why we put salt on our watermelon. I honestly thought it was, like, to make it saltier. No, it, was, it actually brings out the sweetness of the watermelon. Now, in a little bit. Now, listen, it's not a good time for watermelon right now. But next summer, you try this, and we'll find out if, if Google is right. But in a little bit, you can actually make it sweeter. Number two, number two, salt can counteract bitter flavors in food. So if you have a bitter flavored food, you put a little salt on it, it's going to help with that bitterness. So it's interesting here what salt is already, we're already seeing salt doing, okay? Salt, when added in, first of all, is making things sweeter. They're making things better. And now in some ways when salt is added, it is removing things that aren't so good. And we begin to see how God wants us to flavor our world and flavor our relationships and flavor our families. So in one way, he's saying, hey, you need to not only be sweeter, but I also need you to remove some of the bitterness that sometimes is around and things of that nature of, of, of our lives and in our world. And then the last one, it can actually help release certain molecules in food to make them more aromatic. I learned more about salt in the last two weeks than I've ever in my life, okay? I am a salt encyclopedia right now. And you need to ask soon because I'll forget it, you know, on Tuesday, okay? But you put a little salt in, it actually makes it smell better. It actually brings the flavor out. Now, here's what we need to understand about this, okay? This is something that we sometimes miss when we, we understand this idea of what Jesus wants us to be as salt. Salt enhances, hear me, what's already there. Okay, like I said before, no one says, I want to go to that restaurant because the salt is good. Okay? 
Our job is not to try to be the main course. That's Jesus. Our job is to simply enhance who Jesus is for everybody else. So as they begin to see in our lives, as we begin to to make things sweeter, as we begin to take away some of those bitter things, as we begin to have that aroma of God become a part of our lives, it's not us. We're just simply the salt. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Listen, it's in your notes. Our lives as salt should flavor and enhance what Jesus wants to do in the heart of others. He He is the main course. He is who we are pushing. He is who we want people to adore and focus in on. Listen, hear me here. Bad things happen in churches. Bad things happen in families. Bad things happen in communities. Bad things happen in governments. Bad things happen in general when people forget that they should be the salt, not the main course. When they become the main course, here's what happens. You ever poured salt down your throat? Alone? You choke. It's, it's disgusting. It's not good. And sometimes I wonder if the world sometimes chokes on us as Christians because we're trying to pour salt down their throat instead of simply allowing the goodness of Jesus to be enhanced and the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus to be enhanced in their lives. We can really mess things up, guys, when we forget who, what our place is and what Jesus' place is. And so we need to understand that. Number two, number two, this is interesting. And this is what we know about, but we're going to look a little bit deeper in it. Number two, salt preserves. Okay, we, we, we kind of know this, we're aware of this. Salt preserves uh, meat, it preserves things that we obviously can't refrigerate. I had a friend back in Albuquerque, and he loved to do uh, jerky beef jerky and a whole bunch of different types of jerky. And I asked him, you know, I said one time, I said, how do you, because it was really good, I said, how do you make this? And he said, well, Aaron, you need a lot of salt. And uh, he used uh, soy sauce. He said, that's what I use. And he would talk about this, that he would basically take the meat and, and, and he would put it in a bowl and he would just literally dump gallons almost of soy sauce on it and put extra salt in there. And then, of course, he would, he would dehydrate it and things like that. And, and I said, well, what, what's the point of the salt, you know, if you're just going to dehydrate it? And he said, well, that salt really begins to pull out some of the bacteria, some of the things that are not good in the meat, things that would harm you and things of that nature. And then, of course, that process is finished with the the drying and and things of that nature and so you can keep it and don't have to refrigerate it and all those sort of things so we know about salt being a preservative but we need to look a little bit deeper okay because again this is one we know about but there's something deeper here i think that god wants us to see so we're actually going to go to the old testament and we're going to look in leviticus okay because i think there may be some things here that we may not be aware of that'll help us understand a little bit deeper here so we're going to look at two versions of Leviticus 2.13, okay? We're just going to look at the NLT, and then we're going to look at the Amplified version to kind of give us a little bit more understanding of what's happening here and what God is trying to get us to see in this concept of salt and preserving and things like that. So Leviticus 2.13, it says this, Season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. We're we're going to talk about this in a minute, but let's go ahead and jump now to the Amplified Version. And this is what it says. Every cereal offering or grain offering, you shall season with salt as a symbol of preservation. Neither shall you allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your cereal offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. Okay, so let's break this down and let's see what was really happening here because most of us know that in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites were commanded by God that they had to give certain types of offerings. We usually know about the idea of, of an animal being sacrificed as maybe a guilt offering or a sin offering. But one of the other offerings that they gave was this idea of a grain offering or a cereal offering. This was the only bloodless offering that God asked for and you could not give the grain offering alone. Okay. This was a voluntary offering. It was not required necessarily, but it was always added after a sin offering or a guilt offering or something like that. So there had to be a a blood offering first, 
And then, as a symbol of your devotion, as a symbol of your love, as a symbol of understanding God's provision in your life, then you would offer this grain offering. But God commands them that any time you do this, you need to add salt. Now, here's the deal. I, I could spend a lot more time on this, and if you're interested in it, let me know. We can go through it as far as what this looked like and what they would bake and, and all these sort of things. But salt was required to be a part of this. Salt was required to be a part of it. And it was literally, as you saw in the Amplified and other translations, it was literally this idea of the salt of the covenant. It was this idea of the salt of the covenant. Like, we don't hear that very often, do we? We hear about the new covenant, the old covenant, but the salt of the covenant. And God here is giving them a very visual explanation, a very visual picture of this idea that God is going to preserve them. He's going to preserve his promises. He's going to preserve that he's going to take care of them and help them, that he's going to preserve everything that he has promised. So as they are offering this to God, God's saying you need to put salt in it because you need to remember that things have to be preserved. And here's what's interesting about this. There was a particular order that they had to give things in. Okay? Again, you're going to get, you know, really hear about the Levitical law and what they required, you know, read Leviticus. It's, it's great fun, let me tell you. Okay? Put you to sleep, you know. But there's some good meat, actually, in Leviticus. And so there was an order and so what they had to do is they would come and they would first give basically this, this sin or guilt offering. It was, it was the sacrifice of a bull or a lamb or an animal. It was that idea that first, before anything else could be done, sin had to be dealt with. It started there. Now, Aaron, why does that matter? We don't, we don't have sacrifice. Yeah, we did have a sacrifice for us. It was Jesus. And, you know, we talked about going to the table. You know what, what gave you access to the table? Jesus. The reason you can come to the table is because that has already been taken care of for you and for me. So that blood has been spilled, that forgiveness has been offered, and so now we can come and we can sit at the table. We can enjoy that moment and that time with Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done for us. And so that started there with this guilt, sin, sacrifice. And then and only then could they move on to this idea of a grain or a fellowship offering. And as they're giving this, they're communicating their complete... Now remember, we talked about this before. Remember, Jesus all of a sudden hits the corner and turns. No, 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 no. He's not doing that right now. Why? Because these people understood what a grain offering was and what was required in it and the order. We don't know that so much because we're not giving sacrifices and because we're not Old Testament scholars like these people were. We have not done what they had done probably hundreds of times. And now Jesus is communicating full and total dependence on him and brings up salt. Why? They totally got it immediately. They say, oh, wait a minute. You know, you know when, when I go and I give a grain offering, Salt is always a part of that. Salt is a part of a, perver of, of a preservation, of a covenant that God is going to establish. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the Old Covenant. But Jesus is going to establish a new covenant. And in that, that grain offering was a symbol of commitment and complete and total devotion. Something like Jesus was talking about in verses 25 through 33. They knew what it was. So he was saying, I want you to preserve some things as well. What does God want us to preserve? What did God preserve? And therefore, what do we want to preserve? Real quick, three quick things. First, he wants us to preserve our promises. Okay? When we make a promise that we're going to follow him and stay at the table and be a part, that we need to follow through with that. We need to let our, as Scripture says, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Right? Okay, our promises he wants us to preserve. Number two, our relationships. You know, it's hard sometimes to preserve relationships, isn't it? But here's the thing about, about salt that you may not have known. In ancient cultures, if you had shared salt with someone, 
you were a friend for life. That was huge. Like, sometimes we don't understand that, but like, it, it was literally said, like, if you shared salt with someone, you literally were friends for life. That's how big it was. And so again, they understood that concept of salt. They understood that to share it, to, to, to come to the table with, with each other, to come to the table with Jesus and have that salt was, was a relationship that was formed that nothing was going to break. Jesus has said that to us. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We see that in our relationships with him, but he also wants us to have that relationship with each other. And then the last thing, of course, is God wants us to preserve our purity. God wants us to be holy, 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 because he is holy, holy, holy. And salt was this idea of purity. It was this idea of a pure chemical compound that, that, that was a pure to their mind and to their understanding. There's a lot of things that God wants us to preserve if we're going to be the salt that he's called us to be. It's very important. Number three. Number three. This is a weird one, but, but go with me on this. Salt provokes. Salt provokes. Okay, when you add salt to things, there is a reaction to it. Okay? You know, you, you, you add too much salt, you're going to know it. Okay? You know, if you add, if you need more salt, you're, you're going to know it. Okay? It, it, it basically provokes something in us because its presence is there. Now, here's the thing about salt. Okay? You can have not enough salt. You can have just enough salt. Or you can have too much salt, okay? Here's the thing. Here's what we, we, it was kind of a funny thing to think about it. When you have too much salt, a lot of times what do we say about that person? They're, they're, they're a little salty, don't we? They're a little salty. You know, they're a little, they're a little gruff. They're a little, little harsh, a little mean. They're, they're a little too much. They're, they're, they're a little salty. But, but salt provokes in us. Look at Colossians 4, 6. As Paul is writing here, this is what he says. He says, let your conversation... Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, okay, so that you know how to answer everyone. Now, isn't it interesting here that Paul, as he's communicating this, is saying, listen, as you're speaking, as things are going on in your life, as you're, you know, you can't have a conversation with someone and not basically be in some form of connection with them, whether it be over even a text or, or a conversation. You, you have to have some closeness. And so he's saying, listen, when you're having conversations with people, when you're, when you're communicating with people, when you're with people, he says basically, let those conversations always be full of grace. And you think that would have been fine. Just leave it there. Why bring in the salt? Because salt provokes. Salt makes there be a difference from things that have salt and things that do not. Okay? And they provoke something. And in this scripture, what Paul is saying is they're going to provoke questions. They're going to provoke things that say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Why do you handle this differently? Why is this different in your life than in mine? Why is, is it that you have a peace that I don't have? and a love and a joy that I don't understand. Why? Because there's some saltiness in you that God is wanting to provoke other people to say, I don't understand what's different about you. You know, here's the thing. If I went to the ocean, and I went to the sink, and I took a glass, and I filled one up with salt water from the ocean, and I took another one and filled it up from the sink, and I put them in front of you, and I said, which one is salty and which one isn't, you would have absolutely no problem telling the difference. You'd probably go, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's it. Woo you ever been to one of those saltwater pools and didn't realize it? You jump in, you know, and it's kind of, you know, not to kind of make you never want to go swimming again, but it's kind of typical to get some water in your mouth, you know, especially with children. You know, when we were kids, what did we do? You did this too. Don't act like you did. And you put water in your mouth and you were a sprinkler. And you went... Yeah, that's the water you're swimming in, by the way. Gross. But you ever did that and it's a saltwater pool and you're like... You know, I've seen Easton do that. It's great. But there's a clear difference. It provokes a response from you. Because there's something in it that is different from all the other water that maybe you've had in the past. The question becomes, 
Are you salty enough to provoke a question? Does your life reflect the saltiness that God has called us to be? Listen, Michelle, you're doing a great job, and I missed the verse in Matthew way back in the first thing. Can you go all the way back for me? That was my fault. Did you? Uh, it's all the way back, like the very almost second slide. There you go. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. You're doing a great job. This is, I, I missed this verse, but this, is, this will fit here too. It says, Jesus here is speaking in Matthew 5. Now, here's what we need to understand about Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just given us the Beatitudes. He's just given, hey, you're blessed at this, and you're blessed. I mean, some just powerful stuff. And after that, now Jesus hits us with this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? We talked about flavor earlier. Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. It's interesting here, what Jesus is wanting us to see is, is he's basically saying something that has an amazing purpose. Thousands and thousands of uses. When it loses its flavor, when it loses its saltiness, other translations say, it goes from purposeful to basically worthless. Now, here's what's great about our God. This is an interesting statement because he says, can you make it salty again? Now, look what it says. Can you? You cannot. But our Jesus can. I'm not going to get ahead. But just know if you go, you know, I don't know if I got a, saltiness, uh, a salty bone in my body. Jesus can change you. He can make you new. You can't, but he can. And so we need to understand that, that there needs to be a response in us because we are that salt of the earth, the salt of the earth. Now let's go to number four, last one, last one. So it provokes, it preserves, it brings flavor, but also salt makes us thirsty. Salt makes us thirsty. You ever, you ever done that? You ever have salty food? You remember? Um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have a little something salty, and then, boy, what do you want? You want something to drink, you know? You, it, you, get, you get thirsty because of it, you know? That's what salt does. It, it, it makes us crave something that our body needs to survive. You need salt. If you take all the salt, but you don't take any salt, you're going to be in trouble, okay? Your body needs it. Your body craves it in certain ways. And it makes us thirsty for something else that we need because of it. And here's the thing. Jesus really illustrates this in a really powerful way in John 4. And we're going to go there in just a second. You don't need to go there quite yet, Michelle. But in John 4, Jesus is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I mean, just amazing story. So much complexity and depth and just the things Jesus says and the things she says. And, and he's having this conversation which is just totally taboo in every way, shape, and form, okay? I mean, they're like, for Jesus as a rabbi to be talking to a Samaritan woman, I mean, this is like the scandal of the decade. I mean, this is like crazy stuff. And, and basically, she's at the well, and Jesus is like, hey, can I have a drink? And, and she's like, you know, like, how, why are you even talking to me? Like, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a rap. Like, what are you doing here? And Jesus begins to open up and begins to, listen, he allows some of the saltiness in him to begin to rub off a little bit. And she basically is like, well, I don't, I don't want to give water. What, what are you talking about here? Why, why are you wanting me? And she begins to argue with him about religious nonsense and just, just all these things to kind of distract and all these things. And John, or John kind of brings this out in John 4.10. In John 4.10, and then we're going to jump to verses 13 and 14. Listen to what Jesus says to her. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now look, jump to 13 and then 14. 
Then Jesus answered her again, everyone who drinks this water, meaning the water in the well, normal water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How's the story end? After this, basically the woman kind of begins to argue a little bit, and Jesus says, hey, do me a favor, will you look at your husband? And she says, oh, yeah, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you're right, the guy you're living with isn't your husband, and he kind of just reads her mail. I mean, just reads her mail. And here's what's amazing about that, when, in the context of the table. For every reason imaginable, that woman should have never been invited. She was a sinner. She was a Samaritan. Please hear me here just culturally in the time. She was a woman. I mean, if there was anybody that wouldn't have been invited, it was her. And Jesus not only reads her mail, not only says, listen, I know everything you've done, but he's still offering her water. Not just water physically, but spiritual water that leads to eternal life. Listen, no wonder she ran home and started literally telling her entire village, come see the man who told me everything about me. And here's what she's saying when she's saying that. You need to understand. She's not just saying, man, he read my mail. Isn't that weird? He said he read my mail and still invited me to the table to sup with him and him with me. He said basically, listen, I know all of it. But come get a drink. Come get something. Listen, hear me here. You want a litmus test about your saltiness? Let's be honest. You want to know, do I still got some flavor or not? Are people thirsty when they're around you? And I mean, I'm not even saying they're like going, they walk up to you and go, I'm just so thirsty for Jesus. No, that they know there's something there and they're thirsty for it. They don't even necessarily know what it is, but they're thirsty for it. You want a litmus test? That's it. You want to say, am I getting thrown out on the manure pile? Have I lost my flavor? That's it. Are you living in a way that people that are desperately thirsty become more so because of your life. Listen, as a follower of Christ, our lifestyle, conversations, choices, actions should be salty enough to make others thirst for the living water that only Jesus can give. You know what I've found in our world today? We got a lot of well water. We do. Man, we got a lot of well water. We got a lot of things that we think, man, if I could just get this drink, and it's going to be good. Here's why. We're thirsty people. We're thirsty. We don't always understand why. We don't understand what's going on, but we're thirsty. And so we begin to look around and go, man, what can I feel? What can I get to drink that's going to help with my thirst? And we go, man, we drive down the street and we go by the car dealership and we go, oh, look, shiny, chromey, fast thing. Maybe, maybe big tires. I bet that will work. Oh, man. And we go in and we get us a big old helping drink. And in about two months, maybe less, we're thirsty again. We go, oh boy, we're, we walk into a place and we see, oh boy, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she lovely? If I could just be with her, oh, you know, what, isn't it funny that I, I think maybe this may be politically incorrect, I don't know, but like I used to hear like a beautiful woman was called a tall drink of water. You ever heard that? Maybe not. Maybe I'm, okay, whatever. I've heard that. And we think, oh, if I could just get myself with her, if I could just get myself with him, man, oh, I could get me a big old drink, and that's just going to last. Well, guess what? 
You ever heard the phrase, the honeymoon's over? Now I got to choose to love, now it's not what's so easy all the time. Man, I'm thirsty again. Oh boy, I just found this great organization. Man, they saved this, they saved that, they help with this, they help with that. Great, maybe great things. Maybe some awesome things that really help people. And we go, boy, if I could just get a part of that. Man, that's going to be a big old drink and it's going to satisfy and it's going to be good. I'm not going to be thirsty anymore. And guess what? Eventually what happens? You know what happens. You get thirsty again. Boy, if I just was this or if I was just that, if I just had that job or that house or that spouse or that thing, if my kid was just this or that, if he was the smartest kid in the class, if he was a piano virtuoso, if he was the greatest football player to ever live, oh, all those things, I could just get a drink of that, then man, I wouldn't be thirsty anymore. And we find over and over and over and over that no matter what we drink, we get thirsty again. Some things maybe it takes a little more time, but we get thirsty again. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, with a woman at a well, said, listen, you drink that water, you're going to be thirsty again. The water I give, when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. It'll, he talks about this water literally springing up in us. Later on in John, he talks about living water coming out of us and getting people wet, basically, because of that. It's the same concept of salt, the same concept of, of our lives affecting others. But listen, whether you're here or online, for some of us, we have forgotten that there is water and there is living water. And that living water can only come through the person, the salvation, the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is it, folks. Please don't. Yes, yes. Oh, Aaron, that's very, oh, that's very, oh, how could you say that? I mean, you know, that's very exclusive. Yes, it is exclusive. Because that's what he said. It's exclusive. But you know what I found in my life, and I bet you in yours too, you find out that it's true. Because if it wasn't exclusive, you'd been able to be not thirsty anymore with all the other stuff you try to drink. It's exclusive, but at the same time, it's for everyone. There's one way, but it's open to everybody. There's a seat for you at the table. But trust me here, if you try to drink just well water, you won't be thirsty again. You drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. But it only comes through Him. So for some of us this morning, as we've kind of talked about this, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm not salty at all because I don't know Jesus. <laughs> I've never really taken a drink of that living water. I haven't really taken my seat at the table. Well, you can this morning. For those that are online, maybe, maybe it's Thursday or Wednesday or maybe it's a Tuesday 20 years from now. I don't know. You know, you can, you can take a drink today. You can accept him today because here's the bottom line. I have never met a person who didn't know Jesus that wasn't thirsty. I haven't. No, they don't exist. They might deny it. They may be okay in this moment. They may be like, you know, I just bought the new car, so I'm good for a bit. But they're going to get thirsty again. And sometimes we have to admit that we have a thirst and understand that God provided a way to have our thirst quenched, but it's only in Him. For others of us, we have accepted that. We, we've, remember, we've sat down at the table, we've experienced Him, but now God is saying, listen, listen, if, if, you're not, if there's not some salt coming out of your life, there's something missing. Jesus, in several portions of Scripture, in, in the Synoptic Gospels, every single one of them, Jesus talks about this idea of saltiness and talks about the idea of the salt losing flavor and all these things. This is a big part of his teaching and our understanding of what Jesus has called us to be as his followers. And if we're not flavoring our world, if we're not preserving our world, if we're not provoking our world, and if we're not basically making our world thirsty for him, then here's the bottom line. We're not as salty as we may think we are. 
Now, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I guess we're just, I guess we're not even good for soil or the manure pile. No, that's not what Jesus said here. Jesus said, you can't make it salty again. But listen, if, if my Jesus can speak to a dead thing and bring it alive again, he can make you salty again. He can. He can do that in your life and in mine. But listen, you can't. A lot of times in this moment we realize, oh boy, I'm not, I'm not as salty as I need to be. I need to blank. I need to this. I need to that. And here's the thing, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe those are good things that God is saying, yes, yes, you need to be doing these things. That will help those things. But the first step that we all need to take is to admit, God, you know what? Right now, I've lost some flavor. Right now, there's not enough salt that's pumping through me into others. And I need, first of all, your forgiveness. And I need you to restore to me that saltiness. And do I believe that God is going to give you things and show you things um, some application, absolutely. Absolutely. Is it going to be different for you than it is for me? Yeah, it is. But the first step is to basically allow Jesus to do what only he can do in your life. One of the mistakes that we make as Christians is we come to this moment and we say, okay, there's something that God wants to do in me, and so I now need to do A, B, C, and D to make it happen instead of first allowing him to do what only he can do. Then we move to A, B, C, and D. But if we don't allow him to do what only he can do, A, B, C, and D is not really going to work real effectively. Why? Because we need our heart changed first and foremost. He needs to do some renovation in here so that this has been changed to become a little bit more like him. So then A, B, C, and D can be done more effectively and also complement the transformation he's doing in here. Okay? So here's the deal. Let's all close our eyes. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's take a moment to focus for just a minute. I want to talk real briefly because we really already talked about it. But, but first, if you're here today or, or online and you say, you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm that woman at the well, and, and I make excuses, and I come up with arguments, but the bottom line is, the bottom line is, what that woman's problem was, was she had to keep going back to that well every single day. She states it. She states it. I don't want going back every day. And you know what? That gets exhausting. That gets frustrating. There's a lot of anger and frustration and bitterness in, in our world. And I believe one of the reasons why is because we've been drinking well water and it hasn't satisfied us. So then we move on to something else and then that doesn't, it makes us angry and frustrated. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? All those things begin to come in those moments. And you realize in this moment through the leading of the Holy Spirit that you need some living water. You need that water that you can take that'll burst forth into eternal life that'll never, you'll never thirst again. Doesn't mean you won't go through hard times or hard moments. Doesn't mean at times that, 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 that things aren't, you know, it doesn't mean things will be perfect. But it means that you're never going to thirst for that thing your soul desperately needs and it's Him. When you do go through those hard moments and those hard times, you can lean on that water that is Jesus. We need to be refreshed again. Because here's the deal. You don't just drink when you're thirsty. That is a sign of dehydration. You drink all the time. You see, Jesus here is not telling you and me that we're never to drink again. He's saying we'll never be thirsty again because of who he is. But we keep drinking every day. We spend time in his word, we're drinking. We spend time with others, we're drinking. We spend time at praying, we're drinking. We spend time at church, we're drinking. We spend time serving others, we're drinking. All those things are things to refresh us and to make us more and more like him. But if you're thirsty, it's because you haven't had the living water. And you have a place at the table, your seat has been set. 
You say, Aaron, how do I take a drink? It's real simple. The scripture tells us you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. You just speak those things. God, I know that Jesus, Jesus, I know you're God's son. I know you died for me. I accept that love. I accept that forgiveness. I want a drink from you. And in that moment, God will make everything new. God will make it all new. But for the rest of us, you know, we've done that. We've prayed that prayer. We've seen, we're sitting at the table. But you know what? We, we haven't been as salty as we need to be. Our life is not full of, of flavor and, and, and provoking and, 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 and preserving and, and all these things. And, 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 and it's real easy in this moment for the enemy to say, you know what? You're worthless. You're not good enough. You, you, you failed. But God can make something salty again when no one else can. So God, we come to you, and if that's us, where we go, you know what? I don't have a lot of flavor anymore. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make something that is not salty, salty again in your presence. That Jesus, in this moment, that God, you would take those things and you would once again bring them back. That God, that we would be a provoker of things in people's lives. That we'd be a preservation of things in people's lives. That God, that we'd bring flavor into people's lives. That God, we'd make people thirsty. Not because of who we are. Not because of, of, of the salt necessarily. But because of you. That we would enhance you in those areas to everyone. Father, you may right now be communicating things and in areas in our lives that we need to, to look at to also help that happen. And Father, I pray that you are. I pray that you're giving us all application and areas, things that we need to understand and do better from your Holy Spirit. But Father, I also pray that we would also realize that only you can make something salty again. Only you can take something dead and make it alive again. And so Father, I pray we'd start there and then move on to be that flavor and to be that salt to our world that desperately, desperately is thirsty for you, even though at times they don't really understand. Help us, God. God, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you, God, that, that you don't just invite us to the table, even though that's amazing. Thank you, God, that you don't also help us to grow at your table and, and, and commit at your table and to, to experience you deeper at your table. God, thank you also that you've called us to be salt on your table, that you desire to take and begin to sprinkle into our world to do these things. God, let us be salt in your hands that change our world for you. You're so good. We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Well, listen, thanks for being here. Hope you have a wonderful week. For those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you're doing well. Remember, prayer on Wednesday ladies group on Thursday, snacks and, and water bottles for the kids next week, and community groups starting this week. I know there's a lot going on. Just want to make you aware. I hope you have an amazing week. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you soon.